0: which is awesome, and uh, on the Beatitudes, Uh, the beautiful attitudes, the Beatitudes, Jesus Sermon on the Mount, and Aaron has given me um, salt and light, and uh, Jesus and the culture, Jesus and culture, okay, so this is a big one, so uh, we're going to talk about uh, our role, our calling, and our responsibility as his church to the culture, now first of all, I just want to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, if you've got your Bibles, or your phones, whatever, and it says this, now when he saw the crowds, he went on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, so the first thing I want to say is, I'm going to say a lot of challenging stuff this morning, because it's, you know, Jesus was very challenging, do you know what I mean, and that sometimes we like just to hear nice things, like, you know, we're snowflakes, we're individual, we're special, and all of this stuff, but here's the thing, Jesus sometimes says challenging things, And I love Jesus because he didn't hold back. He was very straight sometimes. In fact, Jesus wasn't looking for the popularity vote. Oftentimes, you know, there's this brilliant sermon Jesus gave. And I think hundreds left and he was only left with 12. He wasn't after the crowd. You know? And Jesus uh, uh, said some stuff that was really quite straight, quite powerful. His words had authority. And uh, here's the thing I want to say this morning. Uh, uh, we see there that Jesus sat down and his disciples gathered around him, very rabbinical, very Jewish. This is very much the culture. Jesus sat on a mountainside. His disciples sat beside him. Now, disciples means Jesus was speaking to his disciples. So when you hear me this morning, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus, some of the stuff I'm saying is aimed at people that call themselves Christians or call themselves followers of Jesus. So it is quite challenging, but Jesus is always trying to challenge his church to live big and to change the culture and to turn the world upside down. Does that sound good? I want to be part of that. Do you know what I mean? I want to see the world turned upside down. And so uh, Jesus uh, gives three analogies. He says, listen, I want you to, you've called to be like salt and you're called to be like light. And the last thing is I'm going to say is um, that we have to go narrow. We have to choose the narrow gate in life. You know, there are lots of easy things, easy choices, easy decisions we can make in life. But Jesus says, choose the narrow gate because that's where life is and that's where impact is, and that's where change is, and that's where revival and all the amazing things is. Who wants to impact Exeter and uh, Devon, and who wants to see this place turned upside down? I do, and Jesus does that by turning you upside down, (laughs) and turning me upside down, which is good which is good. So like the, the attitudes, a lot of people say, you know, this is, you know, even people that don't call themselves Christians say this is like the best teaching there ever was. And it, and it is, you know what I mean? And Jesus' is teaching just is full of grace and life and truth. But sometimes people take the good stuff and, and reject the stuff they don't want to know, you know what I mean? So they want, like the teachings of Jesus uh, and they like some of his stuff, but they want, don't really want Jesus to impact their life or change their life in a major way. And if you're committed to being a disciple, you're committed to saying, Jesus, don't just impact my life turn my life upside down you know what I mean and so sometimes we have to just be willing just to let Jesus right in right right in so let's think about salt salt is very important now you don't might not realize this but uh, salt was really 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 important in ancient times in history salt has been really important now you think of salt you stick it on your chips don't you salt and vinegar and uh, who likes the flavor salt and vinegar crisps Everybody likes this flavour salt and vinegar. Well, not everybody, not every hand went up. But salt, you, you tend to use salt, or if somebody gives you food and it tastes a bit bland, a bit rubbish, when they're not looking, you're like, load of salt, don't you? Do you know what I mean? You all do it, you all do it. You put salt on, you don't put your salt on in front of the chef or the cook, but you just stick salt on if you need a little bit of flavour, don't you? So salt flavours things. But did you know in ancient times as well, right, you didn't have a fridge freezer, so what do you use salt for? You preserve meat, don't you, and vegetables, and so they would rub salt into the meat, and it halts, it stops decay, you know, these are the key things we're going to get to in a minute, but salt halts uh, decay, it stops decay, salt preserves food, in ancient times, you know, uh, we get a lot of um, kind of like sayings, or right, here's one, a lot of people, it's widely believed that Roman soldiers were, believe, uh, were paid in salt. There's no evidence for that, by the way, in case you want to quote me and look up Google or whatever. But, uh, uh, so that's where we get the word salary from, which means salarium, salt. Uh, the Romans actually built a whole road, the Via Salaria, because it was a whole road just to transport salt into Rome. Because the thing is, a family that had a storage of salt is a family that can eat, and a family that can grow crops, and a family that can preserve food, and a family that won't starve to death. You needed a store of salt in the same way we need a fridge-freezer today. Even in sub-Saharan Africa, even until quite recently, salt was a currency. You know, a slab of rock salt was, it was the same as coins, Salt was um, so important. People went to war over salt. Can you believe that? Venice and Genoa. Check this out. Venice and Genoa. Is it Genoa or Genoa? Who's Italian? No one's Italian. It doesn't matter how I pronounce it. Venice and Genoa went to war over salt. Who wants to know who won? Nobody wants to know who won. I'm going to tell you who won. Venice won the war, so they won the salt. And uh, people say, you know, part of what led to the French Revolution was a tax on salt. So salt, you can get how important salt is. And it serves two main purposes. It preserves food. It, it halts decay. Like bacteria and germs cannot survive with this salt. And number two, it adds a little bit of flavor when the food is a little bit bland. Yeah? Salt. So important. And Jesus is saying, you know, uh, he says this, and I'm going to quote from the Bible, Matthew 5, verse 13. It says, you are, meaning the disciples, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. In Luke, it says, if, uh, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless. You know? And we get very sensitive. I'm not worthless. I'm made in the image. Yes, you are made in the image of God. You're very special. You are a snowflake. You're unique. God loves you. Jesus loves you. But we're talking... So don't get sensitive. We're we're talking to the church as a whole. We are called to be salt. And you can lose your saltiness. And I'm going to share about that this morning. And uh, so, you know, you heard the saying, he's worth his salt. Do you know what I mean? He's worth his salt. And, uh, you know, back back in the day, salt used to be as valuable as gold in terms of weight. Yeah. Salt was very, very valuable, so he's worth his weight, he's worth his salt, and all of this stuff means that, that, uh, uh, and in ancient times in the Bible, you know, Leviticus talks about the salt of the covenant. Salt was that kind of like substance that binded the agreement and kind of said to God, we trust you. We're putting our trust in you. And in the Middle East, you know, in Israel, there's a saying, there's salt between us. That means we're mates. That means, you know, we've got a relationship. There's salt between us. And so God, uh, uh, Jesus, he's speaking to hearers that would understand all of this, all of this worth of salt. They don't just think of a bit of salt on a chip, but they understand how precious, how valuable, how much uh, needed salt is. And Jesus is saying... You are the salt of the earth. Wow. That's a saying, I don't know a lot about for money, but it, you know, in, in London it's a saying, he's salt of the earth type. Do you know what I mean? It means a hardworking, <laughs> working class, salt of the earth. Lovely guy, goes down the path. Uh, good stories, you know, good to hang out with, hard work, loves his family, salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. You heard that story? We are the salt of the earth, church. Disciples of Jesus, we are salt of the earth. So, this is what Jesus is saying. And, like, first of all, I'm just going to put it in kind of like a a big kind of like context. And I think literally that, like, the church, even just our very presence here, prevents decay. I'm talking something supernatural, do you know what I mean? I'm talking like, oh, the Bible says, you know, in Thessalonians, it talks about in the last days, you know, God removes the thing that holds back evil. And then, you know, there's Antichrist and all this scary stuff. And we won't go into that this morning. And everyone's looking at me like, oh. I believe we hold back evil, literally just our presence. Why? Because you're filled with the spirit of God. You're filled with light. You're filled with God. You're filled with Jesus. Mother Teresa said, we are Jesus in disguise, especially to the hurting and the lonely and the broken. Who wants to be that? I want to be that. So our very presence here holds back decay. What brings decay? Sin and death and all of this bad stuff that's in the world. This isn't God's fault. And we say, why does God allow? It's not that God allowed. This is us doing this stuff. This is us and our sin and our choices. And there's a devil and there's darkness and there's wickedness. And there's all kinds of violence and badness. And literally the presence of church, I believe, supernaturally prevents death and decay. In other words, what are we bringing? We are bringing life. Life wins. We bring life to a culture. We bring life to a city, to a culture. We are called to be a city on a hill. We'll go into that as well That's, uh, when we're talking about light. But we bring light to a culture, and we are called to be salt, and salt can lose its saltiness. How can salt lose its saltiness? It's an element. Salt cannot stop being salty. But what Jesus is saying, again, if you were from around there, you will understand that they got their salt from the Dead Sea. Even today, you know, you get your salt from the Dead Sea. And the thing is, there's lots of minerals that are white and look like salt, you know what I mean? And the way you tell if it's salt or not, because it tastes like salt, you know? And so after a while, you get all of these minerals mixed in with salt. And when the rain dissolves the salt, all that's left is this stuff that doesn't taste like salt. And what did they used to do with that? They used to chuck it on the manure pile. And it used to become fertilizer. So Jesus is saying, if a church, if a people collectively... Don't forget, you are individual and special. (laughs) So we're not going to be sensitive. But if a a church, if, if a people, his disciples lose their saltiness and aren't being salt in the earth anymore, then we've got to find a use for them somehow, and we'll make them fertilizer. Do you understand? Salt can lose its saltiness in that Middle Eastern context. And so Jesus said, listen, I've called you to preserve... Uh, the kingdom of heaven culture, there are two kingdoms. You are part of one, whether you like it or not. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you haven't chosen Jesus, you are still in the kingdom of darkness. You might not even realize it, but you are surrendered to this world and its, and its laws uh, and its ways and rituals and, and all of this stuff that, that you're, you're kind of like subject to. But if you are in, a, a, as a follower of Jesus, you are in the kingdom of God. And that's the kingdom of life. And Jesus' kingdom means king's domain. And we are in Jesus' domain. And Jesus' domain is very, 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 very very different to the world's domain, to the kingdom of darkness. Jesus' domain is a kingdom that is uh, 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 it's, it's, it's full of life and light. It's full of grace and mercy and peace and truth. So when you see war and darkness and wickedness in the world, when you switch on the news and stuff makes you go, oh, that stuff is not the kingdom of Jesus, that's the kingdom of darkness. And the way we uh, cross over from darkness into light, uh, there's a narrow door, it's is Jesus. The way we cross over into the kingdom of Jesus, we choose to follow Jesus, we choose to believe in Jesus. Then we have a different set of cultures and values that dictate our lives and dictate our actions and our decisions and our thoughts and our words. So the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Jesus, two kingdoms. You are a part of one whether you know it or like it or not. And so, Jesus' kingdom is like the opposite. It's very countercultural. In normal culture, in normal life, you know, uh, uh, I'll give you an example, just uh, 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 practically speaking. If you're in a workplace, sometimes it can get very negative, can't it? People get fault finding and they get a bit grumbly and a bit negative and sweary and a bit dirty and all this stuff. But Jesus' kingdom is the opposite of that. And it's full of life and it speaks words of life uh, and it encourages people and it speaks the life in people and it draws out greatness in people. Whereas sometimes, you know, uh, you can be in an environment where you think, this is just draining me, it's sucking the soul out of me. I don't even want to go to work or school or whatever today because this person, these people, they're draining me with their negativity and their fault finding and their grumbling. And you know, the Bible talks a lot about this stuff. In the New Testament, Paul talks about a lot about our words and the power of our words. He talks a lot about our actions and how we look and how we sound. And the church of Jesus Christ, when you walk into a church, when you walk into a place with his disciples, you need to feel the life straight away. It's not always the case, by the way. It's not a given. That's why you can, a church can lose its saltiness. Sometimes a church can have the same culture as the world and it can look no different. And so it's not preserving or stopping decay. If anything, it's decaying itself. And so churches do close. Churches do get negative and inward looking and they forget about why we exist. And we exist to save culture. We exist to preserve culture. We exist to stop the decay and death of Satan and and, and the lies and all of the bad stuff. We exist to change the world. And sometimes it's so, it's so sad when you go into a place, it, even a place that it calls itself a church, and you, it's just a negative atmosphere, and there's fault-finding and grumbling. Read about fault-finding and grumbling. It's in the Bible. And then, But you, you go into a place sometimes, or you go into a meeting, or, or sometimes, you know, like this morning when we can just praise God, worship God, and you're hearing words of faith come out, and you can be in a place where you can just feel built up, and you can just feel strengthened and encouraged, and you can just feel the life of Jesus. That's what we are called to be in our workplace. That's what we are called to be in our schools, in our, in our neighborhoods, when we, even when we're in the shops. Jesus has called us to be salt. He calls us to, to, to uh, uh, stop um, decay in its track, stop the decay of death and sin by proclaiming, by letting the whole world know Jesus is alive. Jesus says, you know, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And I love it. He says, Jesus says so many times throughout the Bible, so many times, he says, basically, he has given us everything we need to change the world around us. God is always moving. Who believes that God is moving today? We said this morning God is moving. God is always moving. He is always at work. God is not finished with Exeter or Devon or the United Kingdom. God is moving today. I believe today people will be saved today. And today all over the United Kingdom, people will still give their lives to Jesus. All over the world, people are going to give their lives to Jesus on this Sunday, on this first day of the week. Why? Because Jesus is alive and he's moving. And we want to be a part of that. And a church that says, I want this. I want to be the flavor of Christ in my community. I want to be the aroma." I want to I want to smell, sound, look, and talk like Jesus. Like, uh, like Mother Teresa said, we're Jesus in disguise. We're witnesses of Jesus in disguise when we're at work and when we're together, so that people can sense the kingdom and what you value most, what you value most affects your thoughts and your speech and everything else. And if we value Jesus, this is a simple, simple key. If we value Jesus and his presence and we love spending time with Jesus, love spending time together, it will naturally affect the way we talk and and it will naturally affect our witness and it will naturally affect the whole atmosphere and environment in this place I hope I'm painting a picture that you want because you know because it's what Jesus is gonna is doing, it's what Jesus has done and it's what he's gonna to continue to do. And churches close up and down the country, and this isn't a sad thing because I'll tell you what, when a church becomes inward looking and values itself above the people and values itself above the world, Jesus will take his lamp from that place, his presence, because we exist for a purpose. Culture will be changed. Second thing Jesus said is you are to be light. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Isn't that awesome? We are called to be a city on a hill. I used to preach this in our old church. Our old church was in a village of like 8,000 people. uh, One of these ex-mining villages up north, you know. And, uh, you know, these ex-mining villages are tough. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of tough mindsets. And you think the whole world's against you. And we were just preaching. And we just believed that God had called us to be a city in this village that shone the life of Jesus, when there's so much negativity and there's so much feeling of worthlessness and there's so much feeling of, of we can't do anything and we can't, we, we can't attain or achieve. We were just speaking life, saying through Jesus all things are possible and God wants you to shine like a seat on a hill and God is raising you up. And I believe this for to River Life, River, River Life, what are we called? Riverside. Riverside, we are called to be city on a hill in this place. We're a city within a city. We are a city that shines bright and shines, you know, we're to live loud and proud and big and, and, and just, we're going to have so much fun and we're going to make a big noise, such a big noise that people are going to hear about it. Amen. You know what I mean? That's what we're going to do. We're just going to have fun in the presence of Jesus and we're going to shine. Light has uh, uh, two purposes, has more than two purposes for the sake of this morning. Light has to, all the scientists, it has more than two purposes to. <laughs> Number one, life thrives in light. Can You see, we get into life all the time. Salt preserves life, and light thri- makes life thrive. Jesus said, uh, God said, in the creation story, God said, let there be light on the first day. Because for life to happen, there has to be do you know he created light before he created the sun and the moon? Go figure that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he created the sun and the moon on the fourth day. I mean, all scientists, well, that's just why we have a problem. <laughs> Let me tell you this in the last day, the Bible says when, in the new heaven and the new earth that God Himself will be the light. We won't even need the sun. So let me tell you that when God said, let there be light, God was there and God was light. You know what I mean? And life thrives in the presence of God. And when God's presence is on a church and God's presence is on us church, there is going to be life. And we, it's one of our core values. We are alive. You can tell a difference when you walk in a church that's full of life and is alive. And when you can walk into a church and it's full of death and decay and cannibalism, in other words, they're eating each other up and being negative to each other and tearing each other apart, and there's just an atmosphere where it's not like we're living for the world, we're living for Jesus. It's just like we're singing our songs and we're doing our thing. You know what I mean? I don't know why I keep doing that voice. I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm not trying to offend anyone. I always, just, like, Louise always warns me don't do any accents because I always do accents. I always used to do a northern accent when I was passing in a church up north and I couldn't see why that was offensive. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Everyone always mocks my accent. I don't care. I love it. So it, it brings life. Life thrives, it chases away the darkness. You cannot have darkness inhabiting light. In you is the light of Jesus. Your very presence, I said said this, our very presence strategically placed here in Exeter. Our very presence preserves, stops decay, and it chases away darkness. Probably the enemy is more scared of us than we realize. And number two, the light, another purpose. It indicates the presence of God. In the Old Testament, they were to keep the candle, the light, the lamp, the menorah. They kept it burning continuously because it represented the presence of God. And we want to be a church that represents the presence of God. When the presence of God is here, like when we were worshiping this morning, when when Alan was sharing that word, I felt the presence of God and, and in my physical natural I got some goosebumps. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's been a good morning at church, I got goosebumps. Hey! <laughs> but in the spiritual I could see something bigger taking place. And I could see the presence of God just changing lives uh, and people that were needing support, people that were needing help in that scrum. You know what I mean? I just felt, spiritually speaking, I could just see that God coming alongside people and helping people push through. And as the team were leading us in worship, I felt the presence of God. The presence of God will change this world, the presence of God will change this city. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Light. When you, when you lose something, what do you do? You shine a torch, isn't it? And uh, if you haven't got a torch, you use your phone or whatever. Back in the day, you'd have to light a candle. So when Jesus told a story about a lost coin, this lady, what's the first thing she does? She lights a candle. And, uh, a church that isn't shining the light of Jesus, that isn't representing the presence of God, that isn't seeking the lost. A church that is like that is like a candle that is not lit. It's a bit pointless. The words are from Jesus. He's very straight when he's talking to his disciples, but of course, he's always full of grace and truth, and you are unique and special. You know? <laughs> in Revelations 2 verse 5. It says, uh, remember your first love uh, and if you don't and if you aren't being light, it says, I will remove my lamp stand from amongst you. I will remove my presence from you. If you become so inward looking, if you let the prevailing culture of the world dictate your values and your actions and your words and, and if your words are not bringing life but bringing death and if you are not focused on being a light to the world and seeing worlds saved and seeing lives changed, like Mother Teresa said, being Jesus too, the lost, the hurt, the broken uh, and those who need Jesus which is basically everybody that doesn't have Jesus if you are not being that I'll remove my presence from you and we mourn and we get so sad when churches close but sometimes Jesus closes churches when they stop shining and being what they are supposed to be don't forget I'm talking to us as disciples you know a recent survey said and uh, I can make this up right now because you know (laughs) I could say anything couldn't I Uh, 99% of people think Tim is amazing. (laughs) A recent survey said this. They they questioned people in a church. Why do you think the church exists? Over 60% said it exists for fellowship and to encourage each other. Less than 5% said it exists to make disciples. Is that not a shock to you? That's a shock to me. Because we exist for the mission. that Our mission, Riverside of River Life, is to helping people find God and follow Jesus. Number one, we help people find God. We want to point people to Jesus. We want people to know Jesus. We want to reach all those lost and lonely people in our community. And we want them to find Jesus, don't we? And uh, we want them as well to follow, which means to become disciples. Which means we're not just looking for decisions uh, and uh, you know uh, 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 a nice hey. <laughs> we're not just looking for that. We're looking for people that are going to say, "I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to die for Jesus." And uh, <laughs> you know, this is awesome. I love it. Uh, and uh, you know, this is what this is what we exist for. And when a church stops, when a church stops being those things. Man, it's so hot with these lies pointing on me. When a church starts beating those things, you know, here's a funny story. I went to Jerusalem and I like, uh, if we get to the Holy Sepulchre, Sepulchre, what's it called? Sepulchre. I don't like going to these places. It's full of crowds of pilgrims and they're so religious. And you go to these places and all the, the nuns and the monks, they tut at you and tell you to shut up. And you're like, you know, you might not be a follower of Jesus. Shut up. You know. I just think it's the opposite spirit of Jesus. He says, come. You know what I mean? Uh, and they tell children to keep out. And Jesus says to the children, come, come to me. You know what I mean? Jesus loves children. He loves noise and chaos. And he loves people. And in these places, you just feel the opposite. But this is a really funny story. There's a wooden ladder on, in the church of Sepulchore on the roof. Do you know this? It's been there since the 19th century because the different factions of Christianity. You know, you've got the Ethiopian Orthodox and the Coptics. And you've got the the Ultra Ultra, uh, not the the, uh, Greek Orthodox. And all these other people fighting over whose job it is. To bring the ladder down. So it's been there for over 200 years. That's hilarious. We exist for people. And when the people value their style and their ritual and their tradition more than people, God will take his lampstand away. And this is what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, and and, uh, and in his time, the religious people in his time, uh, uh, they were so much more for their tradition and their religion. And when a church, by the way, values its songs and styles more than it values people, and it says to people, basically, if you want to be a part of I'm doing that accent again, if, if you want to be a part of us, you've got to dress like us and enjoy the songs we like, or you can get out and keep your kids quiet and you stay quiet and all. You know what I mean? When a church says that, when a church values its its tradition and its ritual, a Above people, then it stops being the light and the seat on the hill that it's called to be, and it stops being the salt that's supposed to impact and uh, invade—not invade—impact and influence culture, turn it upside down. When a church does that, then a church loses its light. But when a church is healthy, and when a church is full of Jesus, and when a church is growing like we are—and I can see so many people and new people this morning, which is awesome—when a church is full of life of Jesus, that church can and will change the world. Light. We are alive. And finally, I'm going to say this because I've got like five minutes left. Uh, uh, Jesus tells us to go narrow now and uh, to go to the narrow gate. Matthew 7 verse uh, yeah, 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So picture this, if you will, right? Uh, uh, there's a room with loads and loads of wide doors, like big wide doors, and they've, all the crowds are by the big wide doors. They might say different things. They might say a name of a different religion, or they might have a, a, a something else like a, a, a rock music, or I don't know, this is so old-fashioned, I'm so... I don't even know what to <laughs> they've got all these different wide doors but basically there's one narrow door one little narrow unattractive wooden door at the end and there's just a single figure jesus beckoning and there's nobody there jesus is saying this is like the kingdom there are many wide doors the pluralists lie to you there's not many ways to god and heaven we are a very exclusive religion. If you're new here and you're not a, uh, 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 not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know it is an exclusive religion. Jesus says he is the only way, the truth, and the life. He's not apologetic about that. I'm not going to apologize for saying that. You know, There are many wide doors, many religions, and, they might, and these doors might say different things, and there might be people that, that live their life for pleasure, or people that live their life for money, people that live their life for different uh, uh, religions, or people that live their life for this or that. door is Jesus. And so for, for two, two things here, for disciples, I want to say this: if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that we live in a culture in and in a, 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 the prevailing culture is a consuming con, a consumer kind of culture, and it's a comfort-seeking culture, and it's unwilling to kind of like put itself out. But actually as disciples, we've got to be willing to carry our cross and die for Jesus, you know, sometimes. Narrow is the gate. And not many people pass through it because not many people are willing to count the cost and live for Jesus. And, and we think sometimes we've been lied to and, and somebody says to you, put your hand up for Jesus. And if you do that, life will be amazing, you know. And life is amazing because i got Jesus. But let me tell you, life isn't always amazing, am I right? Who's had some hard times in life over the last year? We all have. Don't put, you, not put your hand up. We've all had some hard times. But here's the thing. We've had hard times with Jesus. And uh, sometimes, you know, Jesus doesn't promise to fix everything in our life. But what he does promise is to make our life purposeful, make our death, if need be, purposeful. And when you're in heaven for a, turn, when you're in heaven for a few thousand years, this three score and ten will seem like nothing anyway. Jesus could have, if he wanted to, he could have like, kept the crowds and he would have had the biggest church in history. and all this. But he wasn't looking for a mega church full of admirers and distant fans who didn't want Jesus to change their life. He did more with 12 who were committed and were willing to turn their life upside down and were willing to let Jesus turn their life upside down, even willing to die for Jesus and die for people and love people, that he did more with them 12 than he could have done with thousands of fans and admirers. Do you know what I mean? Jesus can do a lot more with a few committed. Hello? <laughs> it's my alarm. You know, Jesus can do a lot more with a few that are committed. And there is a cost to following Jesus, you know, there is a cost to being a disciple and uh, but the rewards are amazing like i love being used by god if somebody comes to jesus i just that's the best thing in the world for me you know what i mean i can't wait for heaven as well and I, you know and i think we should talk about this because on the other side of that narrow door is the presence of god is jesus and is heaven that's worth everything am i right And forever we'll be there. And forever we'll be with Jesus. And actually God created humans. He created mankind on the other side of that door. Originally in the presence of God and in heaven. But we chose to go through that door and into the darkness and into the kingdom of darkness. Through our sin and through turning our back on God. But Jesus has made a way and he's beckoning and he's saying come. And the disciples that are willing. The disciples that are willing to to count the cost. You know there's one missionary organisation that send off their missionaries and they pack their belongings in a coffin. They pack their belongings in a coffin. I know this seems morbid, but they're saying, I'm going out, I'm living for Jesus. I'm going to preach Jesus till I die. My life is going to count, but also my death is going to count. I'm giving everything for Jesus. I'm not asking you to do that today. (laughs) Nobody's going to die today, okay? Okay. In this room, I'm not asking you to just die. What I'm saying is sometimes we die to ourself, metaphorically speaking, if you're new. Stop recording me and then sending it to the media. He's telling us to die. <laughs> we die to our own kind of like, uh, uh, sometimes you die to your own uh, uh, desires, your wants, your needs. Sometimes there are things you enjoy that are sinful. Sometimes you die to this stuff so that you can live. And you can live big and live max, the super maxed anointed lives that the Holy Spirit's got for you so you could be salt and light. And the final thing I want to say, because we went out of time, is this, is, is this is aimed now at not disciples, that people that have never chosen to follow Jesus. There is a narrow door. And I said it's exclusive. Jesus is the only way. But I want you to know also, it's also the most inclusive door on the planet. And I'll tell you why. Because everybody is Welcome. Every nation, every language, uh, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, thin, not thin. You know what I mean? Everybody's welcome in this door. And Jesus is beckoning and he loves everybody. And here's the thing. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Here's the thing like uh, Jesus gave his life and uh, 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 he suffered. And so, you know, uh, and for you disciples, you know, sometimes we wear a cross, don't we? But we won't bear the cross. And when Jesus said, Carry your cross, what he was saying is back in them days, when you carried a cross, you were often naked and humiliated. It was painful. You were sweating and bleeding. And sometimes you'd hang on that cross for days. And you can imagine they couldn't go to the toilet, the pool below that cross, the humiliation. And Jesus was saying, You know, if you're a disciple of mine, you got to be willing to count the cost like that not that that's going to happen so don't calm down don't be sensitive what jesus is saying is if you're a disciple carry the cross and i will use you to invade to influence to turn upside down culture you will be literally preserving people preserving souls stopping decay you will be a light that shines jesus and points people to jesus God can use us to turn this world upside down and turn this city upside down. I believe God's got something for us, like a big purpose for this church in this region. I really believe this. In Exeter, in Exmouth, in, De- in South Devon, in Devon. I really believe God has got a-, a particular calling for us, an anointing. And we've seen it, you know, in days and years gone by. And we're seeing it now. And I believe that God is just, he wants to use us to be a light and to be salt. And if you haven't yet chosen Jesus, I want you to know right now, Jesus doesn't put anything on you. He just wants you to come. He just wants you to find life. He wants you to find freedom. He wants you to find healing. Jesus' words are always full of grace and kindness and mercy and truth. Sometimes He speaks straight to disciples and so called Christians and people that call themselves a church. But I want you to know if you're not full of Jesus, His words do you only love kindness. He just wants to heal you. So this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going to give you a chance. Uh, If you've never asked Jesus into your life, we're going to do that together now. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to say a prayer. And if you've never, ever chosen to go through that narrow door, to go through the door of, of Jesus, if you've never chosen to do that, I'm going to give you a chance now to say yes to Jesus. And what I've said yes sometimes as the church, being a disciple, there is a cost. You know, salvation, though, doesn't cost you anything. Salvation is free. Salvation is something that God does for you. Salvation is a free gift. Discipleship is something we do with God. But salvation is something God wants to give you for free. What he wants to give you is life, eternal life. Eternity in the presence of God. Eternity with Jesus. So I'm going to give you that chance. Just say this prayer in your head. Father, I thank you that you love me so much you sent Jesus to die for me. I thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for me out of the darkness, out of the culture of sin and death. Jesus, I believe in you. And I proclaim, and I trust, and I believe you are the only way, the truth, and the life. I thank you. You rose from the dead. There is no grave. So I don't need to fear death. And you promised me eternity. You know, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, maybe you're coming back to Jesus. Maybe you've been on your own path and you've been going through the wide door, so to speak, or you've gone back through. And that, that other kingdom is, is influencing you more than it should be. And it's influencing your values and your mind and your decisions. If that's you and you're coming back, or if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to do something for me with nobody looking, everybody's eyes closed, just so that we can pray with you, support you, and be the family and get around you like that scrum, like Aaron was talking about. If that's you for the first time, just lift up your hand for me, nice and high so I can see. If you prayed that prayer, lift your hand up. Thank you, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Don't miss this chance. Thank you, I see that hand as well. Thank you. Anyone else? That's two people. Don't miss this chance. This could be your moment. If your heart's beating fast and you know this is your, your a time for you just to choose Jesus uh, and you know that, that you should be doing this just now, one last chance. Just raise your hand for me. Great. I see that hand. Thank you. That's three people responding to the gospel this morning, church. Three new people. Let's just give the Lord Jesus a hand clap of praise. <laughs>